live from the Denver Press Club presents the topic of conversation with your host, Rob Scoggins. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Denver Press Club, where the conversation begins. I am Rob Scoggins, your host, and this is the Denver Press Club presents the topic of conversation. And tonight we have a distinguished guest, Mr. Mike McPhee. He is a wonderful man and has worked 35 years as a reporter and newsman in various New England dailies, the Associated Press, and the Denver Post. Well, also, he has also put some of his great articles in the New York Times, the Washington Post, International Herald Tribune, and other media prints. He has also been and appeared on Nightline, the Today Show, Good Morning America, NPR, CNN, but we know this is going to be one of his favorite appearances right here at the Topic of Conversation. He is a member of the Hall of Fame at the Denver Press Club, the oldest press club in the United States. He is a past president of the Press Club and pretty much revived what the Press Club is today. He is a wonderful, wonderful man, and the biggest reason why he is here is because of his new book. His new book tells you the story and history of downtown Lodo, which is lower downtown in Denver, through the eyes of Dana Crawford. And Dana, the name of the book is Dana Crawford, 50 Years Saving the Soul of the City, and it is now out on paperback and hardcover, and you can get it at MikeMcPheeBooks.com. So you can find it there, and you can also, if you're in the Denver metro area, there's a ton of places where you can find the book as well. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Mike McPhee. Thank you. You have, you, and as we have a great, great live crew here, great live crowd. We're so happy that we do this live here at the Press Club in Denver. How are you? How are you? I'm doing great. Are you? I, the book is out. Yeah. I'm, Whew, I'm right? getting a proper amount of sleep now. And I'm good. <laughs> tell, the, tell the listening public a little bit about who you are and, and how you got started and and then, of course, we'll get into the book, which is a, a major focus right now. But tell us a little bit about Mike McPhee. Well, I, I grew up in Colorado. I was born in Aspen, and I finished high school in Denver. Went to CU in journalism. CU Boulder? CU, CU Boulder. Sure. And took off for New England, where I worked for a number of years and got on with Associated Press. And um, I spent 35 years in journalism. I came back to Denver and married a high school classmate who I'd seen at my 20th reunion. And um, she, it didn't work the way we'd planned. She died of breast cancer. Um, so when I got my feet back on the ground, I went down to the Denver Post and asked Neil Westergaard for a job and he gave it to me. What year was that? That Denver? was 95. 95, okay. And I spent the last 15 years of my career at the Denver Post. Let's answer me this, Mike. Getting the associate, getting to be a member of the Associate Press, is that kind of like getting your union card and, and, and Screen Actors Guild or after for the radio, uh, for the radio it's folks? It's as good as it gets. Yeah. Um, the training and the experience that you get with the AP um, just made me exponentially better in handling breaking news. Um, ironically, I was hired in Boston by the man who moved out here to become the bureau chief in Denver. No way. Was it the Boston Globe? Was it? No, no. Was it the name it, of the, he was the bureau yeah. chief Pure, Pure, Pure. Associated Press. Oh, Press, Pure, Pure. oh big time. In okay. Boston. They hired in that. Yeah. And um, so, but the experience you get with the AP is just fabulous. And it's, uh, and then you work the desk, everybody who's on the desk, and you really become an all-around all better journalist. Is that going to go away? I mean, because of the no. way the internet is and no. the way... Yahoo and all these other uh, big uh, online uh, companies are going. Is AP going to go away or is that, that no, here to stay? I don't think so. Um, UPI went away 
and they were in existence when I was with the AP. But and UPI is? United Press and International. Mm -hmm. we, they were direct competitors. Sure. Um, but I, I am a very big optimist. I believe in the pendulum theory that the pendulum will swing back. There, the public is never going to lose its appetite for, for news and for stories well told. And I think right now that the economics of publishing newspapers is changing drastically, but it, it will emerge again in a different form, and I don't think it'll be digital. But I don't, I don't really, you know, I'm not a... Uh, we'll have psychic. so many trees, we'll have to get rid of them. So we have to I, I, don't, I don't think that the demand for well-reported, well-written, well-told radio mm -hmm. um, stories is ever going to go away. And it'll seek its own level in a different location. And major cities will, will keep them forever. I mean, I don't see I the think, Denver Post ever. I think the papers are having a difficult time sure. understanding their role in the communities. I know that's true here in Denver. And it, uh, it, they're, they're set up to cover the community. We, we buy the Denver Post and others to find out what's going on in Denver. Sure. And if I want to know what's happening in Sudan or Syria and Hungary, I'll go by the New York Times. Or, yeah, New York if Times, really Washington wanna, Post, yeah. USA Today, things so, like that. But I, I really believe uh, deeply that journalism is never going to go away. Right. And good journalism will always survive. Were you upset when CU dropped it? Were you upset when that, that major... Journalism major of was course. kind of changed. Yeah, I graduated yeah. from yeah, the J school. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, what, man. That's my what's, gig. What's the problem? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a buffalo. So, yeah, but uh, they just, they're just they just rebranding. But I don't understand the economics. You right. know, that's over over my head. And they're doing the best they can. So uh, it, it's going to come back. And I would encourage anybody interested in studying journalism to go for it. Absolutely. Because there will be jobs somewhere. Somewhere. Oh, in, in the internet or on non-internet? Non I got yeah. in my car and left Boulder and drove to Boston for a job. So takes guts. No, you just want to. If you want to do it, you can find you can it. Find it. Yeah. Sure. You, you wrote a book. I mean, you've written a couple of books, but this one, the the one that you just uh, came out with, uh, that's at the tattered cover here locally in Denver. And you got it hardback and pay, and softback at MikeMcPhee.books.com. It's Dana Crawford who has, you know, changed the lives of so many people in Denver, Colorado. Fifty years, hard to believe, right? Fifty years this, this of, summer, of, fifty of, years of saving uh, the souls of the city. Is it is it polite to ask how old she is now? Is that is that polite? Oh, because she's not I, I here to defend she, herself. She minds. She's <laughs> she's eighty four. Okay, and she has eleven projects on her desk. Wow, she's just as feisty as she was fifty years ago, I guess. <laughs> Tell the tell the general public uh, and the world uh, right now how influential she Miss Crawford is to Denver and how she's kind of changed the face of what it looks like. What I'm going to do is quote from my book, the governor John Hickenlooper, who single gives her single-handed uh, praise for saving. Lower downtown Denver. Wow. And the reason for that is Dana was the first person to recognize the value of historic or even, uh, even significant older buildings. So she knew the value of brick. She understood and and that, that we appreciate 
new, but we really value old buildings. And she was the first one almost in the country to start working preservation by finding significant older buildings and repurposing them and finding new economic life for these buildings. And 50 years ago, Larimer Square, the 1400 block of Larimer Street, was Skid Row. There were uh, bums in the doorway with empty bottles. This is just the late 50s, early 60s. Early 60s. And and the Denver Urban Renewal Authority wanted to push over the entire street. Do you remember who was mayor back then or governor back then? Oh. um, Governor wouldn't have much to do with it, but the mayor. It's okay if you don't. I, I, do you remember? I, I don't remember. It was before McNichols. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, no, don't worry. I, no, I don't remember. He obviously Quig, didn't. Quig do, Newton obviously didn't do a very good mayor job. in the '50s. Okay, but he was out of office by the time Dana. Dana started here in the '50s with doing public relations. Okay, and ironically, she uh, one of her best known clients was William Zeckendorf, who was kind of the Donald Trump of the 50s. Nice. And he came out and built a building at 17th and Broadway across from the Brown Palace. And then he went over to 16th and Court Place and, and built Zeckendorf Plaza, which is now the Sheridan Hotel. Wow. And that was a terrific story. And, Dana, and the Brown Palace was always there. I mean, yeah, that was, things, that, was, that, was that was the area of, near the Capitol. That was done quite a bit earlier. Okay. Right. And, um, but Zeckendorf was the first real big developer after World War II okay. to come in and start working in Denver, and, and Dana represented him. Take us back to the early 60s um, and kind of paint the picture of how hard it was for a woman, regardless of, of how hard it was for, for anybody out here in the West uh, to establish themselves. But definitely, um, was it hard for her to establish herself um, as a businesswoman out here, was there still a lot of sexism? Was there a lot of who the hell are you or, you know, what are you, what are you doing here, lady type well, thing? Let me just um, put it in perspective. Name two or three female developers today. You can't. It's the one of the most misogynistic. Ivana <laughs> <Yvonne> Trump? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's always been a very misogynistic industry. Um, and that's not meant personally toward the male developers, but no. the industry is difficult. Dana, when she got interested in uh, her, her goal wasn't initially preservation. It was she wanted to form a gathering place. Okay. She had uh, gone to graduate school in, at Radcliffe in Cambridge and loved visiting New England villages that had town squares and the old Dutch and German architects, the old, yeah. the old but, low frame, every, every, low frame brick buildings. Yeah. Every little town had a central square sure. where you could meet. And she wanted to do something like that, a gathering place in Denver and, uh, picked the 1400 block of Larimer square, which is now Larimer square. Sure. Uh, or, or 1400 block of Larimer street. And it was tough. And she had no money and she had no experience in real estate. No, she's a good looking lady too. I mean, she, was she was very a good looking lady. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, she was determined. She's very smart. Very smart. And um, but it was a battle that she went through. And um, 
writing this book on her, getting her to recall some of the tough spots. Some brought, tears, I'm sure. Brought tears out uh -huh. to her sure, eyes. It, it was a hard, hard slog. The, what, what is now Larimer Square today uh, is probably the most visited area in downtown, if not because, you know, besides 16th Street, but it's got everything. I mean, and, and you've had, you had some uh, great companies help you. Um, you know, Crybaby Ranch is on that street. Uh, is it Gutsman Silversmiths? Gusterman. Gusterman They're the original time. They're the original ones, right? They were there yeah. the longest. They were and at they're the still there. Start. When 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 uh, when Crawford was chewing it, yeah, Mary Eccles bought it uh, a few years later from the Gustermans who lived up in Georgetown. Wow! And she's still in the back doing doing her thing. Vendome. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful shop. And of course, the market. The market you and, get a nice nice sandwich and a good cup of coffee. Dana, Very classy place. A little little classy marketplace. Yeah. Dana the market. started the market. No. Herself. She when they got long term financing. It's an interesting story. There are so many great little vignettes to her story that I've tried to include in the book. But when they got long-term financing from New York, one of the conditions was they had to uh, bring in new businesses. Okay. Uh, there was a quota that they had to match every quarter. of. And the mayor did that? The city council did no, that? No, no, the, the lender. Lender, oh, of course. okay, got it. Okay. And uh, a couple of times, uh, Dana and her husband, John, came up short. They couldn't find new businesses. So Dana would go out and start a business. That's how tough she was. What? She started nine businesses in the square. Really? And one of them was the market. Dean DeLucas had just started in New York. Sure. And she saw a magazine article about it. So they flew to New York to... Um, Check out what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, rented an apartment full of cockroaches. And Dana slept in her raincoat that night. And it, But these marvelous stories of hands-on learning... And they came back and, and applied them to the market and got that place going and uh, ran it for quite a while. Unbelievable. It's now owned by Mark Greenberg. He and his brother bought it. And Mark is there every single day. And what's the story behind Gusterman Silversmiths? Well, they, were, they had a shop um, up in Georgetown where they lived. Okay. And when Larimer Square opened in the late 60s, they saw an opportunity. So they came down and were one of the first tenants uh, doing silver jewelry. And eventually, Mary, who worked for them, Mary Eccles, mm -hmm. bought the store. Wow. And uh, the and story of her trying to, to pay the rent um, is marvelous. And Dana took her aside and coached her. And now it's become so modern, and, and it's got a lot of you know clubs in there that are like the Mint and, and, and Lux and the Comedy Works and things like that that have kind of you know made it more modern. But every... Every year, anything that happens, whether it be an art exhibit or or something the Broncos are doing or something the Avalanche are doing, they they deck it out in colors and yeah. everybody goes. And it's just a neat, neat it's, area now. It's fun. And and a lot of that credit goes to Dana. The turnover down there has been high because it's a difficult place to... Um, it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And I attended bar down there in 1969 when I got home from Vietnam. Did you really? Yeah, at the Red Ram. Uh, and it was a great place. The Bratskeller... Just the other What's day. What's in the place of the Red Ram now? What's there? It's Ted's Montana it's Ted's Grill. Grill. Right there in the corner. That was a wild bar. That sure. was really fun. That sounds fun. And yeah, back in the 70s, that could be a blast. 60s. Oh, yeah. 60s. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. That's how old I am. No, yeah. stop it. No, hey, the, 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 the Ted's a little corner bar there. Right, right? on 14. Yeah, right there. That's right. what it was. Yeah. Outstanding. So 
let's let's go back again and see where Dana Crawford has taken this. She took this idea uh, to create Lower Downtown, which is now called Lodo. Back there, it was you said it was rat infested. No one wanted to be in those buildings. It was bums on the street asking for quarters. CUD and Metro and those things, the Tivoli, were those even there? Were those no, no. not? The Tivoli co- was there, but it wasn't the it wasn't the Auraria okay. campus. It was it was run down. And McNichols McNichols hadn't existed because McNichols was just just finished being mayor. Yeah, there, yeah, uh, yeah. So there were there no, no nothing sports arenas. Nothing. Down no there. no Broncos. No Nuggets. No nothing. It was a tough area, and uh, that emphasizes how the strength of Dana is her vision. Mm-hmm. She's tough, she's smart, she's tenacious, but her vision is unequal. Um, and that's what really is her strength. She saw the, the benefit of this block and, and opened it initially in 1965. And nothing really took place down there for another 15 years. Did she years. own it? Did she own all the property? She had investors. She had investors. Who but owned there it. were okay. some holdouts. Joe okay. Replin uh, wouldn't sell his crust distributing next door to the market. And, uh, there's a great story in the book about Joe and uh, how feisty he and was. And the battle. The battle and, of the bread. More, and, more you know, there was one. a hard time for Dana trying to buy the entire block because if one uh, owner heard that someone was trying to buy the entire block, their price would go way up. Sure. So they had to create all these fake corporations. That come, they'd, every building they went in to buy, they came in under different names so that nobody would make the link, and uh, it's it's wonderful. So how did it all work? So uh, the, the the square, which wasn't quite the square yet, how did it all work? How did it start building around it? You know, things started just becoming Denver. At, at what time did 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 people say, okay, I can invest in here. I feel safe here. I want to be a part of Lower Downtown. That's a great question. It took a long time, and. As learners, more than 10 years? or oh, yeah, yeah. Way more than. So we're in the 70s now. So, so she started. 65 when it opened, yeah. nothing happened for 15 years. Nothing. Charlie Calloway went and bought the Oxford Hotel, and his investors wanted to turn it into an office. Building. So until 1980. 15 years, wow. nothing happened. Nothing. In fact, a friend of mine, Gretchen Bunn, who is in the book, she and her husband, Ken Bunn, who's a bronze sculptor, they bought a building in the 14, 1500 block of Wazee. Okay. And Gretchen ran out one Sunday morning down to the Oxford Hotel in her bathrobe to buy the Sunday paper. Oh, no. And she was arrested for prostitution. So there were prostitutes out there. Well. Wow. Okay. The, the cops grabbed her, and she said, no, 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 officer, I'm going to buy the newspaper. Uh-huh. And he says, cut it out. You're not down here to buy it. And she said, I live down here. And the, the punchline was the cop looked at her and said, Nobody lives down here. Wow. And they let her go, of course. Yeah, they figured it and out. And she's terrific. She's got a great sense of humor. But but that was in 1974. Okay. So there was nothing going on. And in 1980, Dana bought into the Oxford to save it from being converted to an office building. Where did and people, then, yeah. then it went into bankruptcy, Chapter 11, twice. That's how bad the economy was. That's very was. Donald Trump. Dana calls it Chapter 22. Okay. Um, she's very she's got a great sense of humor uh but in 1985 20 years after dana opened larimer square hickenlooper went down to 18th and wine there it is and bought that building that ironically my family built and i just have to throw that in really Um, 
and he started the wine coop brewing. Was your dad an architect, or he just? No, my father, my grandfather owned a large lumber company and construction company. McPhee Irish. It's Scottish. Scottish, okay. Uh, McPhee and McGinnity. Okay. But that was twenty years later when John bought wine yeah, coop. Nineteen eighty-five. Yeah. Yeah. And gradually, things were starting to happen. Where did people live if they didn't live downtown? They lived above Broadway. Above Broadway? Well, you know, or across the river. Okay. But, but there was nothing downtown. There was no Cheeseman Park, Wash Park? Oh, no, no. There was all that. That's way up. That's too far. That's uptown. But there was nothing down below nothing. Larimer Street. Nothing. There. From Larimer Street down to the river was basically uh, railroad tracks, winos, hobo camps, stuff like that. So no highlands, no lower highlands, none of that Well, stuff. that's across the that's river. That's across the river. The, okay. Up on the other side. And that's okay. named for Scottish people. Right. You know, of the course, yeah, of course. So it was Mayor Federico Pena in 1983 who realized that they had to generate some tax money and they had been prevented from annexing any more property. Pena went down to the Central Platte Valley and realized that this could be a, a, a nice yeah. area. He cleaned out the railroad tracks. Mayor Webb followed him and finished the job. And set up the parks um, and the light rail confluence and yeah. all that. And eventually, they came up with this idea. Webb's idea was to make Union Station a transportation hub. He was terrified of the beltways forming on the outside, and nobody would come downtown. Sure. So he insisted on a uh, on this fast tracks program that that gave credence to Union Station. It had been owned by two developers, and the rumor was it was going to be pushed over okay. for two 50-story towers, and it was outside of the historic district, which is very curious, mm-hmm. that the train station wouldn't be in the historic district. Right. So anyway, it's, it's been a culmination of 30 years of work coming together and celebrating this summer downtown below Union Station. You are listening to the Denver Press Club Presents, the top of the conversation. I'm your host, Rob Scoggins. We have our distinguished guest, uh, Mr. Mike McPhee. He has, is uh, uh, the member of the Hall of Fame uh, at the Denver Press Club here. It is the oldest press club in the United States. And he has this wonderful book that just came out uh, a few weeks ago, and we're very proud to have him on. The, it's, the name of the book is Dana Crawford, 50 Years Saving the Soul of the City. And the soul of the city is Larimer Square, which is Denver, Colorado. The, the soul of the city is our heritage. It's okay. our foundation. It's the older section of town that had become neglected uh, and really had a lot of value in its history, but also in what Dana did with it and recreated a life down there. Did she have a groupies? I mean, she's, I know she's, she's in her 80s now. Besides, I know this younger generation, my, my executive producer, Mara Weiss, is waving her hands. It's me. It's me. Um, does she, she has a following. She has a, a group of people that are who are very proud to know her, to very proud to be around her, still admire what she's done uh, from 50 years ago, and she's still doing it. She hasn't stopped. Like you said, she's got so much going on. Dana has a following that's enormous in this city. And I write in the book that one of the most coveted invitations in the city is to one of Dana's dinner parties. They are terrific, and they can have a theme. You have to wear a costume or She'll invite a group of people to discuss one issue. They're just really fun, and they're they're stimulating, rewarding. When you were when you were talking to her and interviewing her and getting all the information for your wonderful book, did you ever ask her why politics were never in her bag? 
why being you know the first you know female mayor or being uh, the first a, female governor? Did you ever you know, dig into that? Has because ever she asked that question. She could have. Well, you never know on this show. That's very good. That's <laughs> why a... she never grabbed that? Because my goodness, she after what she did in the '60s and '70s, and then became worldly known in the '80s. She never grabbed that. Do you, did you ever ask her why? I never did. And the thought never occurred to me. Mm. But I'll go out on a limb and say that she would not be a very good politician. Too nice? She, no, too honest no, 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 or no. what? She's way too direct. <gasps> okay. She will punch you right between the eyes if she doesn't agree with you and stand her ground and then invite you to dinner. So <laughs> she's terrific that way. But. Nobody ever asked that question, and I never thought of it. Yeah. Uh, why? It's it's, it's politics cause doesn't it, fit. Cause it, cause it, you know, it doesn't fit. Okay. Doesn't Politicians fit. love her. Sure. Well, look at Hickenlooper. And I mean, she Hickenlooper, cultivates him. I mean, her and Hickenlooper were, were I mean, were buddies. I mean, nineteen eighty-five. They, they weren't really buddies. Uh, they've worked together, but they keep their distance. Do they? Yeah. Dana is um, protective of that. Okay. But she loves John, and John has lived downtown for years. I used to live down and see him down there all the time. All right, let's go back to your family and the, and the wine coop uh, building. Mm -hmm. You have, I didn't realize you had such a connection to downtown. I mean, I knew you knew, I knew you're from here and this is your, this is your, this is your home. Um, but I didn't know the connection with, with some of the architecture. When did you guys, when did the family do that? My great grandfather came from Scotland in 1869 and uh, he was a terrific woodworker, a good carpenter and thought big and developed a lumber company. And he had the McPhee and McGinnity Paint and Lumber Company. If you drive down to the end of Broadway toward Brighton Boulevard, there's a big red brick clock tower. Mm -hmm. And that was their paint factory. Really? And, and the name McPhee and McGinnity is still on the keystone there. What address is that? Do you know? Or do you have uh, any idea? It's uh, Broadway and Market Street. Broadway and Market, okay. And they owned 24 acres of Lodo. And they built the Wine Coop Brewing Building. They built uh, across the alley, they built the Franklin furniture store, now Franklin Lofts. And some of my lawyer friends say, surely with 24 acres, there must be one deed that got lost. If we could just find that one building and claim it, <laughs> we'd be set. Be loaded. Yeah. But um, they expanded. Uh, they went down to Southwest Colorado. They wanted to do their own timbering instead of buying wholesale and selling retail. And they borrowed a lot of money. They built a town, McPhee, Colorado. And they, Where's it, that from here? It's uh, right outside of Cortez okay. on the Dolores River in southwest above Durango. And uh, a series of unfortunate events, including the Depression, mm -hmm. came. They were heavily leveraged, and it, it shut down the entire operation, the entire business. And because of that, I've had to work. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. well, and, uh, and, and your father? What did he do? He was a silver miner silver, in right. Aspen silver. Yeah. and built the first chairlift, the number one lift in Aspen. Right. And um, then times got very slow up there, and uh, we came down to Denver. And He ended up as a state land commissioner uh, under Governor Love. And writing's always been your passion, always been something you just love yeah, to do. Yeah, I just fell into it in college. Um, I was writing stuff against the Vietnam War. Even though I'd been to You've Vietnam, been there, I, yeah. I fought there. <laughs> so you knew. But I came back and, and joined the protests and started writing. Was that hard for you? No, it was, I was passionate about no, it. No, was it hard to come back and, and be, 
seen both sides of the coin. Was that? No, it wasn't. Um, we uh, we tried to stay alive in Vietnam. Of course. There was no purpose of us being over there. How long were you there? 12 months. That was the standard tour. I was there the calendar year of 68, went through the Tet Offensive. I was awarded two bronze stars for combat and couldn't wait to get back. Just and, done. Yeah. Any reason for us to be there? No. No, we accomplished nothing. What were you told? By your superior. That it was the domino theory of yeah. communism well, coming we, down the coast. The that? And <laughs> Australia was the main target. And really? There was no proof. And then I've heard the rubber plantations. And, you know, You've it, heard it all. It, yeah. It didn't make any sense. Do you get back with your buddies who are still around? No, I don't. Uh, we did for a number of years, but it's been 40 years now. So we've kind of drifted apart. So, But that's how I got started writing. And after the protests, um, I went into the editor and said, I really enjoyed writing these pieces. Uh, give me some assignments. And that was the uh, that was it. That was the start. Yeah. The so. boulder rag, as they call it. Is it the camera? Was it the camera or just the boulder? No, I had started at DU mm -hmm. and it was the Clarion. Clarion, sure. And I, after a year and a half, I transferred up to Boulder. Okay. And uh, there was the Colorado Daily and the Boulder Daily camera and the J School. Did you have a photographer that you enjoyed working with to get you capture your? capture your stories or you just Back wrote? then we carried our own cameras. You carried your own. You did it all, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Here you do it all and, too. In radio and, you do it all. You produce it. You direct it. You and do it. when I went out to New England and started working they gave me a camera too. And, and now Here you it's, go. It's Here's a, your Nikon. Right? Now it's a union violation. It is You're a union violation. To, that's right. Well, so you got your phone now. changed. Yeah. You know, you could do it on your phone and say right. whatever, dude. Right. Right. <laughs> So, so when let's let's talk a little bit about we've got we've gotten to that part of your life, Mike. Let's let's talk about how sports has influenced the city too. McNichols Arena with the Denver Nuggets, and then of course when the Broncos came in in 1964, did that change the pattern of when people would come downtown? Well, it didn't change the. You know, I I because there's I, a lot of hillbillies I, around I here during that. They all people lived in the mountains. It did uh, it did bring a lot of people downtown. But it wasn't until Pena started uh, working to get Major League Baseball here. And then Dana got involved in the locating of Coors Field. And then Pepsi Center was built. And Webb played a big role in all of that because he wanted uh, uh, mass transit to service the three sports events. Mm -hmm. And it works beautifully. It I does. Think. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Light rail has been a dream. There, I live in Golden, and I can get downtown. Yeah. No problem on light there rail. There was a lot of vision early on that has resulted in Denver being as cool as it is now. Somebody just said uh, there was a survey recently in Fortune or Forbes that Denver is the top-rated destination for millennials. It is. And our summer program. But, but, but yeah. you, know, you know what makes that so exceptional? And this is something that Bill Mosier of the Denver Partnership sure. told me. Um, Denver does not have a harbor. No. It doesn't have a port. No. Denver's isolated. But we have the, more boats in this state than any other landlocked state. <laughs> what the? But we, <laughs> our nearest neighbor is 500 miles away. Right. We are really isolated. And it's because of the leadership and the vision in Denver that Denver has become such a great destination. And we're a massive state. We're the eighth largest state in the union. That, and that's out of 50. That's yeah. a massive amount of land. Yeah. And Denver, it just keeps, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Aurora just seems to keep growing. It doesn't, I mean, it just keeps going east. It yeah. doesn't stop. Yeah. Uh, I wish Denver could have tapped into that a little bit. Well, they were prevented back They in, were. If you read in my book, yeah. the Poundstone Amendment, 
um, and Frida Poundstone wrote the, uh, helped write the Poundstone Amendment. Denver had been ordered by a federal court to bus uh, high school students around the city to integrate. And uh, the white families started fleeing the city and they would move just out of Denver into unincorporated areas just beyond the border. And Denver would quickly annex those areas and bring them back in on the tax rolls. Frida Poundstone, who lived out in Greenwood Village, said this has got to stop. The Poundstone Amendment to the Constitution was approved two to one, preventing Denver from annexing anything without the approval of the voters who were going to be annexed. Wow. And the only annex that's, annexation that's occurred since then, since the 60s, was DIA. No. And Adams County approved it. Which is this little amoeba that hangs off the It's city. not little. No, it's massive, <laughs> it's, but I mean, it's, it's just... It's, it's, it's not it's it's the like, size it's, of Manhattan. Right. It's like St. Croix. It shouldn't be part of the U.S. Virginia. Right, right. Um, but when we come back, we're going to talk to more about Mike McPhee. You're listening to uh, the live from the Denver Press Club. The topic of conversation is Mike McPhee, our distinguished guest. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, from 1985 to present day, 2015, and how the city has changed and evolved and everything. So we'll be back right after the break. Thanks. Consider joining the Denver Press Club, which offers a relaxing atmosphere of camaraderie and creativity and serves as the hub for Denver's media, public relations, and communications community. It's the nation's oldest press club, with the first organized meeting held in 1867 and with the club making its home at 1330 Glenarm Place since 1925. Please visit our website at denverpressclub.org to find out all the great things that are happening throughout the week, month, and year. We're open Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Come by and see us. This is the topic of conversation, and this is uh, this is the Denver Press Club, where the conversation begins. I am Rob Scoggins, your host, and this is the, the Denver Press Club presents the topic of conversation, and our topic of conversation is Mike McPhee. And the history uh, and the mystery of Denver, Colorado, from about 1960 to present-day uh, Colorado. Wow, he has taken us on a little journey uh, so far, and the name of the book is Dana Crawford, 50 Years Saving the Soul of the City. It just came out. You can find it at Mike McPhee, that's Mike, M-C-P-H-E-E, books.com, and you can find it right there. He's got it on paperback and hardback. It's a wonderful read. If you just love the history of the West, if you love the history of Denver, you're a Coloradan, and you've seen the miraculous, I just said miraculous, a miraculous change in the past 50 years of downtown, um, it is a must-have on your bookshelf, uh, and it's a great holiday uh, thing to put in someone's stockings. Someone's stockings. Isn't that what you say it in Irish? No, I just call them Christmas presents. Buy 20 of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in Scottish, you'd say stockings. Stockings, I don't know, stockings. Um, something like that. He is a, a wonderful guy, and he has been. Uh, he is. He is. He is in the Hall of Fame of the Denver Press Club, and we're so happy to have Mike McPhee here. Wonderful stories in the book too. I mean, just little. You have little little side things underneath all the all the wonderful pictures in the book, and I, and uh, I all have that good to stuff. give um, credit to the designer Judy Anderson, okay, who did just a marvelous job. We have over two hundred photos in the book, and they're not. Uh, in groups, we have them scattered no, they're almost on every yeah. page, yeah. and a number of callouts. We've pulled blocks of text out and put them in different colored ink or fonts. Um, it's a very easy to read book. You can skip through it, or you can chug through it, 
whatever you like to do. There was a lot of naughtiness downtown when she was building. And there was a lot of little brothels. There was a lot of little sexual into window places. I mean, it was not easy for her, for Miss Dana Crawford, to walk in there all pretty and East Coasty and having all that, uh, you know, schwa de vir that she has. Um, if I said that right, I hope I did. Um, wow. I mean, that took a lot of guts. Well, I mean, there was a lot of nastiness down here. Drugs, women throwing themselves at men, and men going, like, eh. and she's just walking in going, I think I want to start something here. I opened the book with her <laughs> driving what she calls her puke green Ford convertible down 14th, down Larimer Street, down Skid Row, looking for a gathering place. And her car vapor locked, which uh, doesn't happen anymore. But in the old days, when the gas line would get too hot during a hot day, the, the gas would turn to vapor and the engine would choke and die. And her car died right in the middle of Larimer Street. And she was dressed in a suit, Ivy League type. Yeah. And um, high, one cla of the, high class, you know. One of the winos in the doorway yelled out, it's vapor locked. And she said, what do I do? And pretty soon they'd had the hood open. And they got a wet rag and cooled down the gas line and fired it right up. Off she went. Yeah. And the rest is, rest is how she developed Larimer Square. <laughs> Larimer Square, lore history, right? Row, yeah. Um, Crybaby Ranch. Um, that's another one that kind of was has been there through the ages. Tell Roxanne. Us, Roxanne, yeah. Tell us a little about Crybaby Ranch and how that kind of is still there. And still, She's got a... Roxanne has... Um, this is one of the stores at Larimer. At yeah, Larimer, uh, Larimer it's on the west side now. It used to be on the, north, on the east side. She's... Uh, She's a hard, hard worker, but she's very smart, and she's got a cowboy theme that she has a lot of fun with, and a lot of people, vis visitors, come into they town and buy a nice hat or uh, very cool boots or belts or like this and that. Lambskin there. But she also wholesales, and uh, she sells all over the country. She's a very, very hard worker. The book is for sale at Crybaby Ranch. Um, yeah, my hat goes off to Roxanne. Roxanne, yeah, she's, neat lady. She's a survivor. She's been there forever. Un unbelievable. Yeah. One of the one of the originals. Yeah. One of the absolute originals. Um, I, she, I don't know exactly when she started, but she goes way back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe not as far back as as Gusterman, but but right there. Yeah, pretty yeah, close. close. Yeah. yeah. The let's let's start up let's start up again in 1985 um, mm -hmm. when we we talked a little bit about Hickenlooper moving in, big money guy, you know, big entrepreneur guy, and with with the wine coop. Micro brew. Who knew that was going to be a big thing, right? He didn't have a dime when uh, mm -hmm. he didn't have a job no. when he started down there. Just had good credit. Um, <laughs> That's what he, he said. Had investors, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he did that, and that that kind of surged the city and helped the city grow. Um, having the Broncos here, obviously, that them being a better team in the '80s than they were in the '70s, that helped the city grow. What else helped the city? Well, the big impetus was. Mayor Pena pulling the railroad tracks out and cleaning up the Central Platte Valley. He realized there were 4,600 acres down there that were producing virtually no tax revenues, $40,000 a year, which is nothing for a city. And he and his staff uh, realized that that was the potential for the city. So they started to clean the valley up and did as much as they could. You know, it's a, there were more than 30 sets of tracks railroad tracks down there, wow. and he reduced them down to two. That's quite an undertaking to get the railroads to cooperate with that. And they began tearing down the elevated concrete viaducts 
14th, 15th, and 16th Streets. Um, and then he was tapped by Clinton to go out to Washington to be Secretary of uh, Transportation, and then, I forget, maybe Energy. Um, but Webb came in and finished the job. So and, Pena was pulled by Clinton? Yeah. Okay. And um, Webb, I, he, has an, he has amazing stories. Wellington Webb served three years, uh, three terms as mayor. Here. Larger than life guy. Yeah. Charisma. Well, he's charisma. bigger than life. Yeah, he's, charisma out he's the, as big out as a the, tree. Out the, and, out the wazoo. Uh, his his legacy a, is larger than life. But, right. but he, he was, um, he just got things done and explained later. He and really did. A lot of people got angry with him for not being inclusive in that. But I think, I think Wellington and Federico probably did more than any other mayors in the history, save maybe, maybe Robert Speer. Mm -hmm. uh, Wellington, he he told me a wonderful story. He and was both very, men are still alive. Wellington yeah, oh Webb yeah, and, very, and are very still, much still alive. around. Yeah, and um, Wellington told me that when um, it became obvious they were going to get the land, the city bought um, Union Station. The city and RTD purchased Union Station from two private developers okay. for $25 million. And then there were a huge number of acres behind Union Station going all the way down to the river. And one of the great stories, I think, in the book is Wellington, once the purchase was made, Wellington and Ken Salazar, who was attorney general at the time, flew to Seattle to... Trillium Corp. <clears throat> Excuse me. They flew to the Seattle to meet with the Trillium Corporation. The Trillium Corporation owned uh, the land from the river halfway up to Union Station, wow. and the city owned the land from the halfway all the way up to Union Station. And Webb and Salazar in Seattle on a handshake with Trillium flipped the ownership. Really? They traded parcels. And that gave the city the land down by the river, and it gave Trillium the developable land where all the, the new fast tracks was going to come in. And they coveted that land. Webb had a passion for parks and created more parkland, I think, than any other mayor in the city, including Spear. Um, and he gave me a beautiful quote. He said, if you go around to cities where the river is behind the buildings, where you approach it out your back door, the parks and the river are all shabby. They're untended. They're, they're, they're not nice. But if a park is in out of your front door, people really enjoy it, and they take care of it, and they manicure it. And and it becomes a, a integral part of the city. He wanted the river and park land along the river to be kind of the showcase of this whole new development that was going to occur down below behind Union Station. And is that is that the area that we call Twentieth and Blake, where the Coors Field is? Is that 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 no, section? No, it's, uh, or is it it's not by Coors Field. It's all the way down by the river. If you take Twentieth past Coors Field mm -hmm. down to the river. North of uh, 20th is Cuernavaca Park by Dana's flour mill lofts. But then if you come south, there's a common park, uh, Confluence Park, 
And um, there's a third one. I, I, the name of it is slipping me. Um, but uh, Webb was very proud of creating mm -hmm. these big grassy parks. And now they have some concerts down there yeah, and yeah. bike paths. And Jeff Shoemaker of Greenway Foundation has done a marvelous job to develop the bike paths and the footpaths. And case in point, the millennials moving here and, and staying exactly. downtown. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's what's going on. The, and, of course, the River North uh, District area and then Globeville is starting to pick up a little bit from the it's, River North. It's just becoming a wonderful, yeah. you know, safe Dana area. Dana is heavily involved in Rhino right now, yeah. the River North. Is she, does she have a family? She has four sons who were born within five years of each other. Woo! And while she was developing Larimer Square, she had three boys in diapers at the no. same time. I just don't understand Unbelievable. how she got through with that. What did her What did her spouse do? He was a geologist, John yeah. Crawford. Right, he was well. a terrific guy, a terrific skier. And um, he had a good business going. And Dana kind of, uh, she has a habit of uh, including everybody around her into her projects. And John got pulled into more and more, got pulled into Larimer Square. And he reached the point where he was compromised a little between, between geology and Larimer Square. He moved his office down to Larimer Square, and Dana kept leaning on him more and more to do the financing and to find new tenants. And he finally quit geology and, and uh, became partners with Dana in Larimer Square. Are the boys involved? Are any of the boys? The oldest boy, Jack, uh, has a real penchant for financing. He went to Brown and then to the London School of Economics. He wow. wrote for the Financial Times of London. And then he returned home and has been a partner with Dana, or a financing um, when, entity. When she walks by the square, um, is it kind of like Mufasa in The Lion King and all the animals just go, curtsy down? I mean, what does it look like when, when, she, when, she walks to that, when she walks to the square? Nobody knows who she is. Nobody. <laughs> she doesn't wear a little sign that goes, me, me, me. No, she's very, very, very humble. The opposite yeah. of that. Um, she'll she tell you if you be. ask her. But, um, oh, yeah. Uh, no, it's amazing. Um, the, a lot of people don't know what she, who she who she is. I hope to meet her someday. Like. I hope you'll she's you'll terrific. let me you'll you'll she's invite terrific. me to one of those she'll, swingy dings. She'll charm you. Uh, she's wonderful. I'll dress like a minion. Whatever you need me to do, I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lee. Then, of course, during the Web years, and he leaves. So Web Web has moved on. Uh, what year did Web um, leave office? He was in office. From 91 to 2003, okay. I'm pretty sure that's And correct. he had aspirations of being president and, and a little bit more than, you know, maybe a senator yeah, or something higher. I don't know. When um, I was at the Post, um, I was covering City Hall, and I ushered him out of City Hall. I was with him. In fact, he, would, he was wonderful to me. Um, the last night he was in office, he invited me to ride with him and his wife, Wilma, all around the city in their car, and we went to every city council persons, Victoria city council persons, campaign headquarters mm -hmm. to congratulate them. And just to spend that time with him and his wife in the car reflecting, it was wonderful. I was working on cruise ships from 2003 to 2007. So I wasn't here during, I wasn't here in the Denver metro area during that time. Who, who filled in after Webb? Who John Hickenlooper. John Hickenlooper came For in. two terms. Yeah. yeah. And he changed the whole philosophy of the city. Well, he, he's uh, in very, in, in very different than Webb. Very different. Webb <laughs> is kind of a tall, 
uh, guy who just got things done, and mm -hmm. John loves to get out in front of it and, yeah. and uh, tell you everything that's going to happen and make it happen. Yeah, uh, he informs he was, you before it happens. He's very yeah, inclusive. He's uh, John is very gregarious, mm -hmm. and Webb can kind of slip past, and you don't know he's in the room. And then Hickenlooper becomes governor, uh -huh. and Hancock becomes exactly mayor. Exactly. So here we are <laughs> in uh, 2015. Um, and the face of Colorado has changed. We have now uh, fully legalized cannabis. Mm -hmm. Has that going to help um, or hurt? I've heard it's helping. Of course, today was, if, if you're listening, today was the first tax-free day, one tax-free day, because they made too much money. Um, <gasps> Marijuana is making too much money, so they had to fix things, and, and now we're back in order. But... Um, what are your thoughts? You have you you're I, you're from and I'm not I'm not going to pick on you so much, no, no, but no. you're from the '60s. Yeah, you're you were in Vietnam, where, you know, drugs and alcohol are okay, are considered okay, socially okay. acceptable. Okay. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? No, all right, we're done with that. So what <laughs> no, no, I, I um, as as James Taylor said one time in a concert up in Red Rocks, um, he said, you know, you get old enough, you just kind of lose interest in it, <laughs> and and I. <laughs> I'm the same age as James Taylor, so I don't, uh, once in a while, um, yeah. I'll partake at a concert or something like that. But I think the, the legalization of marijuana is one of the best things that Colorado has done. And I just hope that the rest of the country follows, primarily because of the disparity in people in prison. Mm -hmm. And to put people in prison for long terms for selling what's now legal in Colorado uh, is just wrong. And uh, do we think we do you think we should get those people out who are absolutely on the bubble? Nonviolent people. Uh, I mean, when I was reporting, a lot of women I came across were selling dope sure. to go buy formula yeah. or diapers. Just to keep their families up, yeah, up going. It, it, there was nothing immoral with what they were trying to do. I, I think it's a wonderful change and I hope the rest of the country follows. And I'm so happy to read that we're uh, pocketing so much tax money now that I hope they send it to the schools. I hope they squeeze the prisons down to a fraction of what they are now. Fix the roads, just everything. Exactly. And I think we are, we are definitely being looked at from the outside in, too. I mean, there's a bunch of states who come here. There are or, you know, countries who are coming here to see how we're doing it, right. how Colorado's doing it. Obviously, our, our, our population is not as big as say, California, which population is bigger than the country of Canada. Um, I mean, 35 million people in, in the state of California, that's hard to manage everything. But we have only have about 5 million people, and only about half of us can vote. So it, it's a man, I think it's a manageable state with, yeah. with, with the marijuana. And I think, I think, like you said, it is definitely, I think it's definitely helped the city, and, and I think it's I mean, I think they're trying to do a responsible job of governing it, regulating it. Uh, you know, when the feds come around and they allow some banking, that will help a lot. Yeah, just like today, no so, tax, and we're yeah. fixing it. It's a law. They're they're going by the laws and everything like that. Um, the the um, the, so the whole the whole from from a whole full full circle of of being downtown at at Larimer Square when uh, when Dana Crawford started with all the drugs and alcohol. Now we're we've we've fifty years later we've we've legalized it, yeah. and it it has just boomed and. Now, if you go downtown now, it is it is absolutely lovely. 
I mean, when was the last time you've been downtown and not enjoyed your time? Yeah. Unless it's and raining. A big part of that is because of because Daniel's of vision. Yeah. And um, in the last chapter of the book, I, I came across the question of what's going to become Dana's legacy? Yeah. And I asked a number of people. Um, I interviewed Dana 35 times. For an hour for and how a half long? Each, I mean, an hour and a half. But how many years? Are we talking about a year? I or? worked three and a half years yeah, on the book. But I have 35 interviews with Dana, and I interviewed another 75 people for wow. the, and I read extensively. So um, I have a lot of sources in the book, and at the, at the close of the book, trying to finish it, I, I kept chewing and chewing on what would be Dana's legacy. And so I asked a number of people, and one guy popped up immediately and said, Larimer Square. Yeah. Absolutely, it's Larimer Square. And so I, uh, one of her sons, Duke, popped up and said, it's going to be Union Station, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And finally, I went to Dana, and I said, what do you think is going to be your legacy? And she said, I just believe in the loft living and, and turning Lodo into a residential area is what she is uh, more proud of than most of her other projects. In other words, she was kind of thinking that bringing the residential area to lower downtown would be her largest contribution. And I wrote all this stuff up, and I wrote it and wrote it and rewrote it, and I couldn't get it right. And I, I just put more thought and talked to more people and finally, I wrote all of these answers in the book, and I came up with my own answer. And this is one of the few times where I editorialized in the book. The rest of the book is pretty straightforward reporting of, about Dana and her life and her contributions. At the end, I said on my own that I believe Dana's legacy is much larger than any single collection of buildings. Her legacy is her vision and her leadership. And in her guts. And all and included in all of that is her tenacity, her courage, her her willingness. Um, I I interviewed her office manager and I said, What's Dana's strength? And she said her type A personality. Huh. She gets an idea and she's gonna get it done. And she's and, fairly and then I said to the office manager, What's her weakness? And she said, her type A personality. You're going to do it my way, and this is it. And just, and so all of that is, is uh, included in, when I say Dana's vision and leadership, it also includes her tenacity, her, her backbone, her just getting things done. And her humility through the whole thing. I mean... She's yeah. not. She's not pointing at herself the entire time, unless you ask no, her, like you said. Uh, but she's not walking down the square, and everybody's no, going. No, hey. she doesn't attract attention to herself. Right. No. But she's she's very uh, gregarious and and humble. Before she leaves, um, you know, yeah. the human planet yeah. um, in spirit. Will there be a statue of her in? From oh, I, are you are you pushing towards that, or no, are the kids pushing I, towards that? Are we I'm doing not, anything? I. To, pushed to get uh, the book printed, sure. and now of I'm course. pushing to get it sold. Yes. 
So I, I mean, do you think you see Union Square having oh, a statue of her, or, or, or renaming Lamer, the Square Crawford Square? Well, there are two buildings in Denver on, named on, after her now: the yeah. hotel, mm-hmm. and there's a Crawford Building in Larimer Square. Okay, but I think that's a terrific idea. That some type of, I mean, she's paid homage to a number of people. If you go in the back of Larimer Square, there's Richard Pinhorn, who had the uh, Manhattan restaurant down on the 1600 block and um she's she's paid homage to a lot of people and i can't believe that there won't be some collection gathered what what is her favorite drink what does she drink like like booze well she told me that um when she graduated from kansas university she graduated with a ba Mm -hmm. but not an mrs in other words, She's she not said her nobody wanted to marry her and make her Mrs. So-and-so. So she decided to go to graduate school at Radcliffe. Nice. And they had a, a business program similar to Harvard's MBA. She said the first thing she learned out there was how to drink a martini. <laughs> and I have, a quote at the, I have a quote at the start of the chapter. When they asked me olive or onion, I had no idea what they were talking about. And so it's it stayed with her. She loves a good martini. Well, we can just name a martini after a Cobra, the Dana Dana Crawford, yeah, or something that'd like be that. Good. That'd be now, good. what's next for you? What you you you? This book has been a a life a life achievement for you. Yeah. Uh, four years in the making, even five yeah. years in the making, because yeah. I'm sure you had the idea. When did you get the idea? I was at the Denver Post, and um, what year? I I was a reporter from '95 to 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, two years before I left, I got the idea of the book, and I called Dana, and I said, hey, let's do a book about you. And she said, no, no, no. My mother raised me that a woman is in the media only three times in her life, birth, marriage, and death. And I said, well, Dana, you've made a shambles out of that. (laughs) She's the most written about woman in In Colorado. And uh, I said, let's do a book. And she said, no, I won't do it. So I, I kind of chased her for two years, and then I left the paper. And uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was a pretty prominent architect, Jacques Benedict. He's done a lot of buildings in Denver. And so I started working on a book on, about him. And nine months into the book, Dana called me and said, are you still interested in doing a book on me? And I said, sure. So I set aside the Benedict book and and started working on. So when I when I get this marketed and under it's when it's uh, when the when the train leaves the station, <laughs> I'm going to get back to the Benedict architectural book. Can we call it that? Can we call the book that when the train leaves the station? <laughs> Can we <laughs> by Mike McPhee? Yeah. We're doing you know just it's just a work in progress. And also um, during that time from 2011 to now, you revitalized this place that we're sitting in. Uh, you helped uh, remarket the Denver Press Club and, and bring yeah, it back to that the was form. A, that was a funny story. Um, uh, I don't know what possessed me, but we all... <laughs> well, we thank you. <laughs> we all make mistakes in our lives. But in 2002, I uh, agreed to have my name thrown in as president of the Press Club, and I was elected president one night. And <laughs> Peggy Lowe, a reporter at The Post, was the vice president, and she was terrific. And so that night we went downstairs into the office and realized that 
the club had five liens placed on it. Wow. And they, the previous administration had received a $10,000 grant to do a historic inventory toward renovation of the club. Sure. And they took the $10,000 check over to a liquor distributor and stocked the bar with it. Okay. And, th well, and this is not? not an exaggeration. Sure. And so we realized that we had to uh, do something quickly. It was losing. It was hemorrhaging money. So I shut it down and uh, retook a year to redo the club. And I think it turned out beautifully. Yeah. I, I love this club. And I really encourage all your listeners. One other thing I did as president is I lowered the standard for membership from you don't have to write for the newspaper. Right. You just have to read the newspaper. Right. And if you do that, then you can be a member. You've also allowed, so. you know, radio people like me and, and others uh, who, you know, you've, you've allowed people who write blogs now in. We've allowed That's Bruce Goldberg. Radio. And he deserves the credit. Yeah. You, Bruce you, you've, really allowed, real, you've really opened the door to other media outlets. That, that's that, that, Bruce. That, and I'm going to give him credit. He's the first president in 130 years who's learned how to make a profit at this yeah. club. Yeah. And he deserves Kudos and he just that. celebrated his, he won't mind, his 65th, 65th birthday. Yeah. We, we were and all he here. Swam. And he swam. Like eight yeah. miles or yeah, something swam, ridiculous. Yeah. Enough. And, um, and anyway, he, I would love great. to encourage ten your ten readers yeah. to not be intimidated by the name, but to come down and, and see the club and have a drink and dinner and join the club. It's 200 bucks a year. It's, it's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. It's a wonderful place to come and bring some friends. Yeah, you can watch the games here. Yeah, you can exactly. have friends here. You can have meetings here. And yeah. of course, uh, you come here, every, come here come every Wednesday night and be a part of the show and exactly. watch the show yeah. and uh, have some fun with us here too. Yeah. You have had a remarkable career, and you know, I've been and, very lucky, and, and very fortunate, and it's not over yet. And you're no. still you're still going strong. The so this book is done. The next book is going to be about architecture of the city, right? Or of primarily, uh, primarily of the city uh, uh, of an architect, an architect. Uh -huh. who came and. Um, uh, really transformed the upper end of residential property. Um, he did the Wash Park Boathouse. Okay. And, uh, uh, he did 80 buildings. And 60 of them were still standing. Wow. So, Here in Denver. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah. Here, here's the thing with, with, with your career. You have uh, pretty much done the gamut. You've served our country. You have written about it. You've been on both sides of the coin. You have seen so many changes. In, does it ever remarkable that you're living in this, in in those fifty years that have, that have just changed the way the country looks at itself, and 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 the way people look at the country? Oh, I think it's, it's wonderful. just unbelievable. It's, Sixty it's years, yeah, it's terrific. And um, I've been very fortunate. This turned out better than I ever expected. Do you ever want to live anywhere else? Sure. I lived in Paris for four years. Yeah. And I'd go back there in a heartbeat. No problem. A lot of places. I'm thinking about Charleston for a little while. I love low country cooking. And Heck yeah. So, but I'll always come back to Colorado. Are you ready for Rob's fast five questions? Sure. All right. Here we go. If you could be any other any other uh, animal uh, besides human on the planet, what would you be? Whoa. I would be a soaring bird, maybe mm -hmm. an eagle. Okay. Or a hawk. It's not uh, not for the power, but just the ability to soar and fly and yeah. go wherever you want. I'm reading the history of the Wright brothers right now. Oh, that's it. It's huh? a wonderful book by David McCullough. Okay, and that would that makes me feel like a 
Baldy. No, I've always looked up at birds. Yeah, I love them. That's nice. But when you um, when you first sat down and wrote, and you knew this is this is this is what Mike McPhee is going to do for a living. What was that? What was the first thing you wrote about? Do you remember? Well, the first thing I the, wrote the first about thing you was... wrote about that there were, that said this is what I want to do. Not not like a cartoon or, or a oh, stick figure thing. Well, talking... I got started because of protests against the war. Okay, was war. Okay. But then I became a reporter, and the editors had ideas of what was going to be the first thing I wrote about. <laughs> but one thing I started doing early, yeah, early on, and I don't know where this came from, but I used to, uh, I had a, a manual typewriter, and I used to get songs by Linda Ronstadt or the Grateful Dead and rewrite the lyrics. <laughs> I'd just stay up. Really? With a little dope. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Till dawn. Rewriting lyrics. Okay. I don't know what possessed me. Now Do you I, sing? Do you sing? No. God. Do you play anything? I used to play the piano and I played the banjo a little bit, right. but, but uh, nothing. No, it's, yeah. yeah. I don't know where that came from. And I make movies in my head according, based on classical music. Oh. I used to get off at midnight from the Associated Press and go home and open a bottle of wine and listen to Beethoven and just concoct a movie in my head based on the movie. Did you and name it in? Did you give it a no, name? No, no, I'd go to sleep and forget okay. about it. <laughs> <laughs> Beethoven does that too, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Well, that's, 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 that's awesome. Quirks. You're, and, and, and you've been all over the city, and I, I know you could tell stories upon stories upon stories of different nooks and crannies of this city. But where does Mike McPhee like to go in the city? What is your favorite little spot to sit and reflect and think and maybe even write? What's your little Cheeseman. section? Cheeseman? Cheeseman Park. Yeah. I live just three blocks from there. And it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful parks in America. And I go up to that pavilion. We used to go to uh, uh, operas there as kids that the Denver Post put on. And I just think it's a lovely, lovely park. It's peaceful. Um, the other thing is the Denver Mountain Parks, which not many people know about, just outside of the city. Where's that? I'm on the board now of the Mountain Parks Foundation to raise money to. Okay. Um, there's a lovely necklace of parks, uh, including Echo Lake, Genesee, mm. sure. and Chief Hosa. Sure. And my grandfather designed some of the buildings up there. Um, but they're out of sight, out of mind, and the city council continues to forget about them. And so we're trying to raise money privately with. Uh, Bart Berger and um, Elizabeth Schlosser to uh, to rebuild the structures. They're lovely, and the reason they were built was the in the 15, in the teens and twenties when automobiles first became available. Uh, that's as far as you could get on a Sunday and have a picnic and get back in one day. It was Echo Lake hmm. or the base of Mount Evans or something. And so they, they built all these shelters up there where you could cook out. Oh, cool. You know, yeah, they're wonderful. Yeah. So I love to go up there, too, and bike ride. Do you feel like the Papa Smurf of Denver? Chip, who's Papa Smurf? <laughs> Come on. I, you know the Smurfs. Come on. A little bit. Do you I, feel like Papa Smurf? Like, you know everybody, and they're all, we're all your little Smurfs. I mean, come on. No. Well, little blue people walking around. I'm very fortunate no. to know a lot of people, but I don't consider myself to be Papa Smurf. Smurf. Well, you never know. Well, you never know. Um, Mike McPhee, I, I tell people how they can find you, what they can do to be to, to be your friend on Facebook or find you, or what what are the what are the places that they can 
they can do that. I love Facebook. Yeah. And the, one of the great things about Facebook is I've been able to find writers on the New Yorker or the New York Times or published books who I really like. Mm -hmm. And you can find them on Facebook and send them a friend request and they accept it. Why not? If you walked up to them on Fifth Avenue in New York, they, they would do anything to avoid you. Mm -hmm. But you can send them questions. I have lots and lots of Facebook friends that I've never met. So I'm on Facebook and my book is on Facebook. I also uh, created a website, www.mikemcfeebooks.com. Um, and the, uh, are you on Twitter or any of that stuff? No, I don't do that or Instagram or anything okay. like that. Well, you're going to have everybody in this crowd friending you at the end of the I night. I hope so. so you're gonna, I love it. You're going to get 10 more friends. And okay? buy 10 books each. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, heck yeah. The, <laughs> um, last question for you, and, and thank you so much again for being here. The, what are you most proud of? I mean, you've, you've had such an illustrious career. What are you most proud of? Wow. I'm proud of the work I did in journalism. And uh, sitting here is is Lou, who was a huge mentor to me. And we're going to have on the show and, and later, um, later down the road. And um, just the people I worked with, the people I met in journalism. And then the icing on the cake has been this book. Mm -hmm. So, And the book is, and you can find it um, at the Tattered Cover here in, uh, in Denver, Colorado. Also at Crybaby Ranch uh, there in Lamar Square. Excuse me. Lamar Square, thank you. I've got uh, them in all the uh, historic Molly Brown House, um, uh, the History Museum. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to get them, get them out there. Every yeah. place. Yeah. And you can find them also at MikeMcPheeBooks.com. They're at hardcover and paperback. You can find them there as well. The name of the book, uh, once again, is, um, is uh, the Dana Crawford uh, 50 years saving the soul of the city. And I cannot thank you enough for being on the show and being a part of this. You have recreated the press club and you are one of the biggest reasons why the show is, be, is being uh, live from here. Thanks. I thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed it a you lot. Bet. Of course, I couldn't do the show without my incredible crew and staff. They are outstanding. They keep the show going. They keep me up and going. They keep themselves up and going. And we just do it weekend and week out every Wednesday night here at the Press Club. I want to thank Will, my director, producer, and great chief editor. He just does an outstanding job. I hope you like what you listen to. My IT director, he does a lot of editing as well with Will, Matt, and of course Chantel, who does a lot of our uh, marketing work for us. Mancho from Cameroon, who does all our AV stuff for YouTube. And of course, our wonderful executive producer, Mariah Weiss, who keeps us all tame and, and together as a unit. And uh, we cannot do this without the Denver Press Club either. The Denver Press Club hosts us every week. I'm a proud member and uh, very happy that we are here every Wednesday. And I want to thank the staff. Carmen, the general manager. Bruce Goldberg, the president of the club. And, of course, the staff here. Mark and Will, uh, the best bartenders and cooks around. So if you are in the Denver metro area, come by and see us on Wednesdays. We'd love to see you. With season two, I just wanted to say, listen, talk, love, and wake up with a purpose every day to do something good. And you just might be right down here with us in downtown Denver at the Denver Press Club as our topic of conversation. Thank you and good night.